0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. We're in Matthew 20 now. We will discuss the first 19 verses, which covers the parable of the vineyard and the workers, or the parable of the landowner and the workers. This is Jesus, who is now apparently, according to Matthew 19, 1, he's now in Perea, in Judea, across the Jordan, east of the Jordan River. There is some question about that, but I'm assuming that's where he is. He's just finished telling the rich young ruler that he needs to give up everything he has to follow the Lord. He's talked with Peter about what what Peter has given up for the Lord and so forth, and that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And this is the context of where we are here. So starting in chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, Jesus says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, denarius is the usually usual daily wage, one denarius for a day. In fact, Roman soldiers were paid one denarius every day. Jesus is given a kingdom of heaven parable. That means he's describing what the church is supposed to be like. Because the kingdom of heaven on earth is the church. It's not really talking about the kingdom of heaven in heaven where departed saints are, where angels are, and so forth. Now, the landowner in this parable represents God the Father. God the Father goes out in order to hire workers. Well, who were the workers? Well, the early workers, the ones that went there at 6 o'clock in the morning, doesn't say 6, but it's early in the morning, it says. And we assume it's about 6 o'clock or so, because that's the way the Jews divided up their day. So early in the morning, the workers went out there. Those were the Jews, the Old Testament Jews. They've been working in God's kingdom for a long time. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. And so... Jesus said, uh, God, excuse me, the landowner said one denarius for the day, Jews, and he sent them to work in the vineyard. He gave them a a set price and they were working for it. What is that set price? Well, if they had obeyed God, they would have had eternal life. Now, what is the interpretation of this parable? There's two main views. One view is that The Jews went in earlier. They felt like they should have privileges. They had the oracles. And why should we let these nasty dog Gentiles in later? They haven't worked hard for God for a long time. They're out there whoring, fornicating, lying, cheating, stealing, embezzling, partying, carousing. And now we're going to let them into the kingdom, God? That's not fair. That's one interpretation. The other interpretation is Peter has just said in the previous chapter, that he's given everything up for God. And the early disciples had done that. They were in on the ground floor. And and so Jesus is saying, look, just because you were here longer than they, I'm going to give grace to to other people who come into the kingdom, even though they come in later. I'm even going to let people like the thief on the cross come in. I'm going to let lots of people who didn't love God at all, I'm going to let them come in at the end and don't complain about it. Well, that's the alternate view. I'm going to take the view that it's referring to Jews, who were in the vineyard early and who are now complaining that God is letting the Gentiles in because that's such a common theme all the way through the Gospels. It it fits with that theme pretty good. So let's go to verse 3 through 7. When he, the landowner, went out about 9 in the morning, the the early workers had been working, say, two, three hours. He went out about 9 in the morning. He saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. The marketplace, we may take it, is referring to the world. To those men, he said, you also go to my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So we're going to assume that Jesus is, um, excuse me, that God, the landowner is saying to the Gentiles, come on in and work into the kingdom of God. So off they went. That's the nine o'clock men. About noon and at three, he went out again and did the same thing. So we got a contingent of noon workers and a contingent of three o'clock workers. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around. and He said to them, standing around, you know, not, not doing any work at all in the kingdom, in the vineyard. He went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. And of course, that would mean let God know, but God has not offered us the oracles of salvation yet. No one told us about the kingdom yet. So we're just standing around, they said to him. You also go to my vineyard, he told them. Vineyard, by the way, is a common Old Testament symbol for for the kingdom of God or Israel at the, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament aspect of the kingdom was a vineyard. All right, now, notice in verse 4, to the men in the marketplace, the landowner said, you also go into my vineyard and I give you whatever is right. I actually gave more than what was right. What was right is a half a denarius, a third of the denarius. That, well, that would have been right, been what's fair what's just, but he gave them more. That's called grace. He gave them more than they deserve. Now, I used to read this parable and think, this is just not fair. It's not fair. I don't understand. Well, that's because I was trying to interpret it from a works righteousness standpoint. The whole point is is that God's grace is free, and if he gives more grace to a murderer, a rapist, or a sinner than he gives to you, just an ordinary sinner, we shouldn't be unhappy about it. We should be happy that the rapist and murderer got their denarius that they got saved we should be very happy about that we shouldn't be jealous of other people when god pours out his grace well you notice in verse six the men who were worked at five they worked for only one hour and the way we know that is matthew 20 verse 12 says these last men put in one hour matthew tells us that jesus says that in verse 12 one hour and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day in the burning heat so we go to chapter 20 verses 8 through 12. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman. The, the owner of the vineyard, of course, is, represents God. The father and his foreman, we may take it, represents Jesus. Call the workers and give them their pay. In other words, call the Gentiles into the vineyard. Call the Gentiles into the kingdom. Call the Gentiles into the church and give them their pay, which is eternal life. Starting with the last and ending with the first. The last and the first. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. The last, of course, for those who were called... It, and started working at 5 o'clock in the vineyard and the first the ones that came in at, and the early morning early morning people who were the Jews, who I'm t- assuming were the Jews. When those who were hired about five came, those were the last, they each received one denarius, that denarius representing eternal life. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received the denarius each. Now here, if on my interpretation, the, the analogy breaks down a little bit because the Jews actually didn't receive eternal life. They would have, if they'd have stayed working in the kingdom, in the vineyard for the kingdom of God, but they didn't. So, but I'm not going to worry about that detail too much. The point is when they received it, verse 11, they began to complain to the landowner. In other words, God had done everything for the Jews, just like he said he was. He gave them the sacrifices. He gave them salvation if they had taken it. And now when the Gentiles are coming in, they start complaining. Now think about it. That's exactly what the Jews did do. They complained. All the time about the Jews coming in. In fact, that was the reason they gave for rejecting the gospel. What? Jews? Uh, uh, Gentiles? You're preaching the gospel to Gentiles? They persecuted the Christians all through the Roman Empire, all through Paul's ministry. The Jerusalem Council was all about how to deal with the Gentiles because the Jews couldn't handle the Gentiles. Peter had to have a special vision in order to go see the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 at the house of Cornelius. Yeah, the Jews complained about the Gentiles coming in, all right. And so Jesus predicted this perfectly in Matthew 20. Verse 12, again, this, these are the early workers representing the Jews. They're still complaining. In verse 12, these last men put in one hour, those are Gentiles who are lately come into the kingdom, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day and the burning heat. You're making these Gentile dogs equal to us Jews. Now, the early workers said they had bore the burden of the heat of the day. Actually, that really was true. The Jews had borne a burden of c- carrying the oracles of God and maintaining it through the in a, in a hostile world, they had to clear the land out, the promised land out of God's enemies, the Canaanites, which involved warfare, always uncomfortable. They had to maintain the temple apparatus, expensive, time-consuming, difficult. And then they thought, they thought in order to bear the heat of the day, they had to keep the traditions of the Pharisees and scribes, which is probably more difficult than anything, although they didn't actually have to. But the point is, is yeah, they were bearing the burdens of God, either justly or unjust, either correctly or incorrectly. And they just said, this is not fair. It's not fair. Grace is not meant to be fair. It's, that's why it's called grace. If it's wages, wages are supposed to be fair. But we don't work for the kingdom. We get grace. And no, it's not. Listen, I look at a lot of other people that have, if they have more money than me, if they have a bigger ministry than me, they've had a happier life than me. I don't care because God gave me grace and I, and I didn't deserve it. So I'm not going to complain if he gives something better to somebody else. That is a secret of life, friends. Never complain about how other people got something better than you. Because you can always look around and find people who got something a lot worse than you. A lot worse. We need to be happy with the grace that's been given to us. Now, the fact that these people were called in the parable to work at different times. Some people, in my opinion, make the, gospel, make the parable walk on fours a little too much for example adam clark says that the calling is different stages the in the progress of the gospel that the gentiles were called for example john the baptist started out then we got the public of uh, well actually not the gentiles john the baptist was calling jews so it's the di- different people that were called at different stages of the progress of the gospel john the baptist nine o'clock 12 o'clock public preaching of jesus three o'clock after jesus ascended into heaven after the ascension Gentiles were called in and then the next stage is synagogues of Jews in the diaspora as the gospel spreads. And then the general call of Gentiles to Christ at five o'clock. I don't believe that. That's too complicated. The whole point is that Gentiles were called after the Jews. Matthew 20 verses 13 through 16. He replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. That's one of the early workers who came in very, very early. I'm doing you no wrong. And think about it. How did Jesus do the Jews any wrong? just because he's showing grace to the Gentiles. He didn't do the Jews any wrong. The Jews had every ability to come into the kingdom just like the Gentiles did. The fact that the majority of them didn't enable him on the cross, well, whose fault was that? Jesus continues to this early worker, Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I've given you everything I bargained for. That you've got nothing to complain about. The salvation of yours is if you want it, take it. Otherwise, take it and be happy with it. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. I want to show grace to the Gentiles. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my business? Does not God have the right to do with what he wants with his business, with his kingdom, with who he saves and who he doesn't save? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Well, actually, they were jealous because God was generous. The Jews were jealous. So the last will be first and the first last. The last being Gentiles in this case. They will be first because they will be into the kingdom and the first who were in the kingdom, they're going to be last because they rejected the kingdom and now they're out of it. All right, so when God, the landowner says, I'm doing you no wrong, we need to remember that you are not being done wrong to when somebody else gets a greater blessing than you. As Adam Clark put it, there's room enough in heaven for all. Let's let them in. By the way, this first shall be last and the last shall be first is a phrase that Jesus used in more than one occasion. He used it with a rich young ruler saying you want to be rich, and first you're going to end up being last in the kingdom. And here it's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. While going up to Jerusalem, and we're going to assume that Jesus is in Perea on the other side, the east side of the Jordan River. In present-day Jordan, he crosses the Jordan River and he goes up to Jerusalem. Now that really is up to Jerusalem. That's a steep incline that I, I rode on a tourist bus that on that short trip going from the Jordan River up to Jerusalem and the bus was in low gear the whole way oh, it, I, was, I was just shocked at how desolate it was and how steep it was. But anyway, he's going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was built on a high mount there. Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked flogged and crucified, and he will be resurrected on the third day. That's some heavy teaching. Now, why? First question is, why did he take the disciples aside privately? Well, because there's two possibilities. One is if the crowds heard this talk of the Messiah being killed, they might have all abandoned Jesus. They might have given up on the kingdom. That's one possibility, or another possibility is the crowds might have grabbed Jesus and said, no, no, never shall they kill you. We're going to make you king, the Messiah, the earthly political Messiah. Now we're going to, we're going to overthrow the Sadducees and, Phad- and Pharisees in Jerusalem, and we're going to overthrow the Romans, and we're going to have a rip-roaring revolution, which of course would have been disastrous, It would have ruined Jesus' plan to save the human race and God's plan to save the human race. And so Jesus was being very private about this as he talked to his disciples. Now, if we look in the Synoptic Gospels, we'll see they're a little bit, have a little bit of extra detail, a little bit different. Matthew says that Jesus predicts he will be crucified in Mark 10 and Luke 18. It says that the scribes and Pharisees will kill him. He will be killed. So Matthew gives a little bit more detail he'll be crucified. This uh, is not necessarily divine omniscience predicting the way he died because the Jews by that time had given over the right to capital punishment to the Romans, and that's the way the Romans uh, uh, executed criminals, so this, this was a natural thing for Jesus to say. He says the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes that was by Judas and Judas is listening to this little talk the 12 disciples listening privately and then Judas hears this the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes which is exactly what Judas did the interesting question here is did Jesus know he was, did Judas know he was going to do that when he heard it I don't know did Jesus know I bet he did I bet Jesus knew as John Gill's opinion that he knew from the beginning I don't know, but uh, I assume that that Jesus knew now he says Jesus says they will hand him over to the Gentiles. that would be the Romans. He says there's two handing over here first, he's handed over the chief priests and scribes, that's when Judas betrayed him to the chief priests and scribes and he'd be condemned to death. Then they, the chief priests and scribes, will hand him over to the Gentiles. That's the Romans. Everything came to pass just as Jesus predicted. I'm assuming that there's prophetic foreknowledge here, omniscience, divine omniscience, to know all exactly what's going to happen. Now, Jesus is going to be handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. As I said, crucified is an extra detail. We go down to Mark 10 and Luke 18 we'll see the synoptics have an extra detail too it says that they will mock him and spit on him Luke 18 says Jesus will be insulted and spit on insulted is added I guess that's the same as mock that's not really an addition but spit on so it, the king of God being spit on my people the king of the world the son of God the king of the world the sovereign God who created the universe is being spit on one of the great, probably the greatest irony in the whole world, how did they mock him? Well, they dressed him up in a scarlet robe and pretended like he was a king. Hey, hey, O king of the Jews. They whipped him. they gave him a scepter for a reed for a scepter instead of an iron scepter that shows authority. They gave him a, a weak reed. Then they put a crown on his head, but the crown was made out of thorns instead of a, a instead of gold. so that's pretty bad stuff. And the disciples. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't think they understood this yet. Remember, Peter tried to stop the arrest of Jesus by striking off Malchus's ear. I don't think they understood this. They never did understand it. And Jesus gives them the good news last. He'll be resurrected on the third day. And I guarantee you, the disciples didn't understand that either. They didn't know what he was talking about. Now, Jesus had predicted his coming death uh, two to, at least two, time, uh, two times before this in Matthew. Matthew sixteen twenty-one. This is after the confession of Peter of Jesus's messiahship at Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16:21. from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must be, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised up on the third day. So they, Peter had already heard it. Well, excuse me. All of his disciples had heard that Jesus was going to be killed. He'd already told them. And then, shortly thereafter, when they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they came down. Jesus told them again, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. And they were deeply distressed. So, this is the third time he's telling them it again. Why is he telling them over and over again? As they're going up to Jerusalem, he repeats it. Why? Well, probably because that it was real hard for the disciples to imagine such a cruel and shameful death. Crucifixion? That's what they do to criminals. Capital criminals. Slaves got nailed on a cross. Murderers. How in the world can a Messiah who's going to be setting up his kingdom go through something like that? So no, they just didn't understand. In verse 18, Jesus predicts that they will condemn him and they will condemn him to death. That's the chief priests and scribes will condemn him to death. We see that fulfilled in John 18 verse 35. Pilate is talking. I'm not a Jew, am I, Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? In other words, it was the chief priests and scribes who handed Jesus over to Pilate. And then the high priest, this is before that, a little bit before that, before Pilate gets a hold of Jesus. Now, now Jesus is still with the high priest in the Sanhedrin in the middle of the night at that kangaroo court, meaning illegally there, Mark 14:64. One of the high priests, I'm not sure if it was Anna caiaphas but the high priest is speaking, and he says to the Sanhedrin, you have heard the blasphemy, what is your decision? And they, the Sanhedrin, all condemned him to be deserving of death. So everything Jesus said is borne out in the scriptures and came to pass. So this handing over, first handing over to the chief priests and scribes, that's the Jews, and then handing over to the Gentiles, the result is that the two big divisions of the human race combined to kill Jesus, the Jews and the Gentiles. They both did it. Now, this prediction of Jesus' death, it's amazing how many times he did it. Why did he have to do it so much? Because the disciples just couldn't handle it. They couldn't believe it. Now, I'm going to show you just the passages in Luke. Not in Matthew. I've already read you three passages in Matthew. I'm going to look at the passage in Luke, which talk about Jesus predicting his death, and realize of course some of these might overlap with the, the uh, occasions in Matthew but it doesn't matter i'm just going to read them to you to give you the feeling of how many times he said this luke 5:35 but the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days luke 9:22 the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests and scribes and be ki- be killed and be raised the third day Luke 9:43 through 45. And they were all astonished at the greatness of God. While everyone was amazed at all the things he was doing, he told his disciples, let these words sink in. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them, so they could not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. And I would suggest to you that was their attitude all the way up to the Olivet Discourse right on the third, i can say—I think that was the Thursday before Good Friday, before he was killed. All the way to the end, they didn't understand. Luke 12, verse 50. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how it consumes me until it is finished. Jesus says, talked about the baptism of his suffering. Luke 13, verse 32 through 33. He said to them, Go tell that fox that's here at Antipas, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. Yet I must travel today, tomorrow, and the next day because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. In other words, I'm a prophet, and since you Jews, and since Jews have always killed prophets in Jerusalem, I've got to go to Jerusalem because they're going to kill me too. I'm a prophet, and I'm going to be killed. Luke 18, verse 32. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on. Luke 24, verse 7. The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. So... Jesus said over and over and over again to his disciples, I am going to be killed. So get out of your head this idea of an earthly kingdom right now. The kingdom of God is not going to be like that. And also, by the way, I'm also telling you on the third day I'm going to rise. Now, they didn't understand it, but Jesus put it in their brain. So when they actually saw it happen that he was, the tomb was empty on the third day, they recalled what Jesus had told them. And they say, oh, that's what he was talking about. Then they went out and spread the kingdom, spread the gospel of the kingdom. That's it for Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 19. We'll start with verse 20, and we'll see that even after Jesus predicts all this about him dying, that James and John, the son of Zebedee, and their mother went up and said, We want to sit at the right hand in your kingdom. They're still thinking messianic kingdom. They just didn't get it. We'll look at that next time. Hope you enjoyed this video. Excuse me, this audio.